Hello and welcome to A's Plus, the San Francisco Chronicles podcast on the Oakland A's and Major League Baseball. I'm your host, Chronicle A's beat writer Susan Slusser, and today I am joined by A's pitching coach Scott Emerson. It's always nice to talk to any coach in December, but particularly after yet another fine season for the A's, particularly the A's pitching staff, uh, and a lot of interesting pitching conversations we can have about next year and what things might look like. Welcome, Scott. Um, first of all, how are you doing this winter? I'm doing great. You know, just uh, hanging around the house and getting reacquainted with the wife and dog, and uh, you're ready for this uh, coronavirus to get out of here. Yeah, that that would. Uh, I think that's what we're all, we're all kind of doing right now. Uh, and, and hoping that it doesn't affect next year's season like it did this past year. Nevertheless, your team did what you guys set out to do. You won the division. That was really the focus. Even in a pandemic-shortened season, you guys were able to, I think it, it wound up extrapolating, if, if you did, to 97 wins had it been a full season. So you guys are have been consistent. But how, how do you evaluate, even in a short shorter season, what your pitching staff was able to do. Let's let's start with the rotation, which uh, you know it was uh, pretty much as advertised. And Chris Bassett, I think, gave you guys so much. He really turned into sort of the workhorse, consistent guy of the staff. Yeah, you know, I, I think our starters. You know, uh, in my opinion, I feel like we always get underrated a little bit. And uh, you know, if you look at the numbers, uh, and I know sometimes starters' wins aren't a, aren't a great number to look at but we I think we're tied for third at 22 wins so our starters you know for me that tells me they just kept us in the games and uh to go out and win 22 of the 36 from the starting staff was was great and like you said Chris Bassett you know we've seen his emergence over the last two years really come into his own and and just you know he's a grinder he's a competitor he's a great teammate he's a guy who wants to win and and when you have those type of guys, other guys follow. You know, I think, you know, Sean Manaya is another guy who goes out there and, and competes. And the one thing, you know, during the pandemic season is the ramp up. You know, I mean, these guys had 10, 12 starts. And sometimes that's when they start kicking in and, and getting, groove, getting into their groove. So, you know, for these guys that, you know, they had to throw by themselves uh, before, you know, July and kind of get ready for this sprint type season was, was tough. But I think our guys, you know, they had some you know rough patches, but they battled out of it. Well, what do you think that Bassett was able to do this past year that made him so successful and so consistent, really? You know, he's a guy who'd been bouncing up and down and filling different roles and yeah, there was even some question, you know, whether he might even be in the rotation to start the season, if he'd be kind of a swingman again. And and there he was. He really was the leader of the staff. How was he able to do that? Well, I, I think one thing, if you look at Bass over his career and uh, you, you go to, you know, one of the tools a pitcher needs is that delivery. And, you know, for years it was kind of a little bit long and lanky and, and out of control, and it seemed like, you know, we were trying to paint him up and and, and make him, but it, it never became to where Chris Bassett was going to be this pretty tight mechanic guy, so we started incorporating some other things, other drill works, to just kind of uh, perfect what he does well, and to be honest with you, this season, you know, in between his starts, his bullpens, I've never seen him paint the pitches in the bullpen 
like he was doing this uh, this season. He'd come to the bullpen, he'd take his bullpens very seriously, and, he, and he'd actually, you know, really stepped up in commanding and throwing quality, good, good bullpen. And I always say, you know, if, uh, a pitcher's got to have quality catch and in quality bullpen and take that into the game. And for me, it was really eye-popping to watch this guy uh, in his bullpen work, uh, you know, be more precision than he has in the past. And I think that helped him in the game. He knew I could execute pitches without the hitter. Now you got to be able to execute the, the pitches with the hitter. And I think that's also a maturity thing, you know, guys coming up, young pitchers, you know, Sometimes they want to get in that bullpen and kind of air it out and see how they're feeling and, and experiment with certain things, which is good. But the number one thing, you got to get in that bullpen and you still got to command the baseball without the hitter in there. And I think uh, Bass took his game to another level by doing that. Yeah, his confidence seemed off the charts. It's funny you mentioned the delivery because I've always loved his delivery. You know, it's all arms and legs and elbows and it's uh, it's kind of fun to watch. He's, a, he's one of your... It got one of the more kind of interesting, I think, techniques, maybe from a pitching coach, not not entirely <laughs> like what you want. Not the smoothest, but it's fun to watch. Um, well, that's where, like, you know, Tom Seaver, yeah. the great Tom Seaver who passed away this year, his back knee touched the ground. So so pitching deliveries can come from, from all over and, and look different. You know, obviously there's certain guidelines you want to have to a delivery, but at the end of the day, how we can – make his movements best for him well it, it's it whatever you're doing it's working um shamanaya you mentioned um obviously uh he didn't get off to the best start and and who knows again like he had such a compressed training camp but he really seemed like he picked it up what what kind of did you see going on with him when when maybe he was struggling a little bit and what did he do to maybe write himself well, I always, always think, you know, when, when Sean can command that fastball when he wants to on the inside part of the plate, it always opens up that outer part of the plate. And he's got the devastating changeup. I really believe he's got one of the best changeups in baseball. Uh, you know, and, and he'll tell you his breaking pitch is the one pitch that he's always got to constantly work on. And, and when he has the breaking pitch that day, he, he's really, really good. And, uh, I think Sean, you know, one for me, he's a great competitor, great teammate, and a guy that wants to take the baseball. And, you know, he has lost some velocity over the years, but I still think that he's got a lot left in him and his ability to, uh, you know, compete. That's that's the number one thing that you need out of a pitcher. If he can't compete, you're not going to be successful. And, uh, you know, Sean's going to find a way to be successful and if he has a couple bad games what I've really noticed from him is his grit and his determination and his mental toughness that he's not going to let the game bother him the past game if he struggled and he's not going to let a great game uh you know take his confidence too too high he's going to stay level keel and that's the one thing I've really noticed about Sean over the last couple years he doesn't panic um but uh, I, I think he's, you know, going to be the Sean Benaya that we want him to be in a full season. Now, Frankie Montas, really, I, I think that was a head scratcher. I think for a lot of us, was his season. Uh, he had so much promise, so much ability. You know, when he, you know, his obviously he had the the season that was shortened because of the drug suspension. But man, he was just outstanding, uh, and he just couldn't really quite put it together. 
Was that the long layoff or the uh, shortened preparations? What, what did you see going on with Frankie? Well, if, if you remember, uh, Frankie came out of the gate great with the three great starts. And then uh, the shoulder and neck thing happened and he missed 10 days. And with, you know, with the pandemic, there wasn't enough time to, to really say, should he go on a rehab assignment or not? And for me, the, the first thing that, uh, you know, when somebody's either hurt, sore, uh, I look at is command. And uh, when he came back after that, uh, that layoff and he started in Arizona, uh, and they're a very patient team. And uh, he just couldn't command his baseball as good as, as he uh, had those three starts or the season before. So, you know, whether that was uh, him still feeling something, the inability to put his body into a position that you need to throw quality strikes uh, could have suffered. You know, the, the velo always stays there. And generally, you know, if I look at a guy, it was a good strike thrower, and then all of a sudden he's not throwing strikes anymore, but he's still maintaining velocity. I start getting, you know, a little scared about what's going on because that's telling me he can't put his body in the positions to make the pitches that he used to be making. So I, I think Frankie, uh, for the most part, last year was just fighting himself, fighting the shoulder or the neck or whatever we're calling that to get himself in the, the proper position to throw quality strikes. So. I'm really hoping that this uh, downtime, you know, cleaned him up and, and got him for next year. Yeah. I mean, he's definitely going to be somebody that, that you guys will have to rely on for next year. And, and I'm liking the, the way the, that the rotation is shaping up for next year, uh, even though Mike Fires, who has been, you know, really so consistent for you guys. I mean, the, the, the team's won the majority of the games he started. Uh, you know, he's provided exactly what I think that the team had hoped. Uh, he's a free agent. Uh, but even without Fires, if he does not come back, as, as seems like is possible, uh, you guys are in pretty good shape, I think. Uh, Jesus Lazardo, for me, is still really one of the best young left-handed arms in the game. He didn't quite, you know, dominate the way I thought maybe he might last year, uh, but he's still learning. Where do you see him in his development right now? Well, you know, you know, Jesus still for me uh, has got electric stuff, electric arm. Uh, and we, I see him as still a frontline starter. The, the tough thing last year, you know, in this pandemic, uh, last year was when, when Jesus came into camp and wasn't able to be in, in summer camp for uh, two weeks. He had to quarantine. So, uh, you know, he, he does all this ramp up and build up at home and he gets ready to come to the summer camp. And then all of a sudden he's in quarantine for two weeks and we can't work with him. And, um, you know, what he could do with his arm was limited. And then all of a sudden, you know, he's thrown right into the fire in the game action pretty much. A, a bullpen, a BP, and here we go into the game. We pitched him out of the pen to get him rolling. But, uh, you know, I, I think that, you know, next year hopefully we have this full season. Hopefully we have this full spring training. Uh, he learned a lot. Uh, I remember him uh, facing Todd Frazier in, in Texas, and he was like, Emo, if I throw it in, I feel like he's going to turn on me. And if I throw it away, I feel like he's going to go the opposite field. And I said, yeah, that's called good major league hitter. Yeah. You know, so that's why you have to have the ability to move your fastball around and change speeds and, and have that devastating breaking ball. So I, I think Zeus has uh, learned on the fly. 
I don't think he was probably, um, you know, I wish we, we could have had more time with him in summer camp to get him ready to be able to do some things. You know, the, the toughest part about development in the big leagues is that I find out, and I've been doing it a long time, is, you know, when you're in the big leagues, it's about winning the game. And when you're in the minor leagues, you can tell guys, hey, I need you to throw, you know, second pitch change-ups after a first pitch ball. I need you to, you know, you kind of script some things out every now and then to get guys using their stuff and, and developing their stuff. So, hey, Zeus, I'm not worried about his his stuff. I just We just need to get him out on the game mound. I think he's going to learn more the more he pitches. We'll be back in just a moment with A's pitching coach Scott Emerson. But here's a reminder, you can find all of the Chronicles A's coverage and the rest of our baseball coverage at sfchronicle.com. To subscribe, go to sfchronicle.com slash pod. We talked a little bit the other day with David Forst uh, in advance of uh, the, the winter meetings, such as they are, and he he mentioned that A.J. Puck is doing well with his rehab. Have you talked much to A.J.? What is he doing right now? Yeah, we're, 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 you know, we text back and forth just making sure we, uh, the, the guys started their throwing program, uh, December 1st. And, uh, you know, they'll start throwing bullpens in January leading into camp. Each guy will probably throw around 10 bullpens before they get to spring training as long as we're going to start spring training on time. So after January is more work, you know, he'll send me some video. We can see his progress, um, I live on the East Coast. If things calm down, I'm, I may take a trip down to see AJ and, and Jesus. I talked to them uh, earlier uh, about going down to Florida. So uh, just keeping in good contact with him, making sure he's good, making sure he's playing proper catch. Yeah, well, it, it's kind of fun that he and he's living in the guest room at the Lizardo's house, which is which is kind of great. You know, he's got an automatic throwing partner right there. Uh, so you're expecting him to be a full go for throwing bullpens in January, basically with Jesus. Yeah, I think that's the plan. You know, just uh, you know the feedback that uh, Nick Paparesto, our athletic trainer, will give us and uh, how AJ's doing. That'll that'll play a major part into deciding how fast we got to move him or how slow we got to slow him down. No, that makes sense. Uh, what What do you see as as maybe the role for him next year? Is Is he still a starter? He's a, you know the team has talked about him as a starter still. I you know I I this is just me, but I keep pushing him as hey maybe at some point down the line you know after at Tommy John and after shoulder surgery maybe he could be a closer type guy. I love a big tall hard throwing lefty potentially coming out of the bullpen. Well, I, I think you you know, always want your guys to to start out trying to start. You know, I think AJ's never really been given that opportunity because of his uh, injury history to solidify himself in a starting rotation. Uh, you know, that's always a great fallback because he does have bullpen experience, and like you said, he's got a power arm and a power breaking ball. So we, we, uh, my opinion, we feel like we could fall back on that. But I think, uh, you know, everything leads to let's see if this guy can start and, and see where we go with that. The one thing is, you know, he's had the elbow surgery. He's had the shoulder surgery. So hopefully, you know, he comes into camp. He feels great about himself and his arm feels great. And then we can take it from there. Yeah. 
Uh, well, the reason, of course, I, I mention him as a potential closer is you guys are more than likely going to lose Liam Hendricks, which is really, it's such a shame considering his really amazing journey with you guys going from a guy who was designated for assignment and then winds up being the opener in the playoffs that same year. And then the next year in June winds up as a closer and this turns, turns into an all-star closer and, and might be the most prized closer right now on the free agent market. That's, that's extraordinary. First of all, from a pitching coach standpoint, what was it like to watch that season that he put together? Well, Liam was unbelievable. I mean, ever since he came back uh, uh, onto the roster after being designated, uh, he he, you know, he did it a lot uh, a lot of this stuff on his own. You know, he, he watched his diet, he improved his throwing program, he got great routines, uh, and you know, for me, separation is preparation. You want to separate yourself from other people in the game. You prepare, and by him putting himself in a position with his diet, with his throwing program. It just, in my opinion, gave him more confidence. And, and then the success came, and the success kept rolling in, and he kept getting and gaining more confidence. Uh, and he could relax out there. You know, sometimes you look at pitchers that throw, you know, they, they're young kids, they come up, they throw 97, 98, and they're not in the strike zone. And they're trying to do too much. But you know they have a great arm. So they kind of got to back themselves down a little bit to throw quality strikes because the 97 and 98 is an overthrow. But then you know it's in them. And then once they get those games under their belt and they can breathe, you know, I always say sometimes these guys take a while to be able to just go out on a big league field and be able to breathe normally and think of it as like a, a, a walk in the park. I know when we had uh, John Axford and, and – Ryan Madsen, we'd talk all the time, and, and they would always say, this is like walking in a park, you know, this is, this is how you got to feel, it's like walking in a park, and you, you start breaking that down, and, you know, when you go on these strolls, that's because you're confident, and I think Liam gained that each and every year after, uh, after that uh, season he was designated, and, and he just... Once he got the closer's role, he did, he never looked back, and he said, "I lo- I, I I love this." He, and he's a adrenaline junkie. He he loves adrenaline, and uh, that ups his game. But now he's able to hone it, hone in on his emotions and his adrenaline and make pitches, and and he did that. And you know, obviously, I'd love to have him back, but if that's not the case, I wish him. Uh, great success uh, in games that he doesn't pitch against us. <laughs> it, it, the bullpen was so really so solid um, throughout the the course of the the sixty game season. Uh, you had four relievers with ERAs under two, and Jake Diekman didn't give up a run until very late in the season, and just the one run. So he he winds up I, with an 0-4-2 ERA. Tell us about Jake Diekman and what he was doing because it I seemed like he had runners on all the time. <laughs> yeah, I, I don't know how, uh, you know, I, I know he was a uh, finalist for uh, the, uh, you know, all MLB team. The guy should have been on it. Yeah. I mean, talking about, a, uh, uh, you know, I know Liam and Liam's great and Liam did uh, awesome. But Jake Beekman, when you're coming in games with runners on base and you're getting out of jams and, and those are, he's always pitching in a pressure situation. That's why he's pitching. He, he, he very rarely came into games, you know, up three or down two or whatever. It's 
this one pitch could have cost us the ball game. And, you know, just as much as I, I love Liam as an MVP, I think Jake Deakman's right there with him as an MVP of our, our staff as well. I mean, those two guys and Deakman uh, putting the fires out so Liam could get the saves uh, was a great combination. And, and Deke did, you know, for me, you know, one run in 21 and I think a third inning. Uh, I, I know maybe the innings don't give you uh, a Cy Young vote or anything because he didn't have many innings, I guess. But this guy was one of the best pitchers and had one of the best seasons of anybody in the history of the game. Uh, I know it was 60 games, but it was, you know, if you look at the numbers and, and you know, we just call this this season for the season. He was outstanding. He was amazing. And, uh, you know, he should have been on that old MLB team as well. Yeah, I couldn't agree with you more. It was really, uh, yeah, it was something to watch. Yeah. And the one run was a homer, so it wasn't (laughs) like he was in trouble. You know, he he just made a pitch, and and, and I believe it was a left-handed hitter hit it down the line. So, I mean, the guy was awesome all year. Yeah, no doubt about it. Um, David Forst mentioned... Jake is a potential replacement at closer, you know, maybe the top candidate from the current roster. Uh, I know know I've kind of been pushing AJ Pug, but in general, there aren't a ton of left-handed closers. What do you think about, and and he has been so valuable pitching in high leverage situations, as as you mentioned. What do you think of him maybe as a closer, including potentially a closer who could come in and get a a four-out save if needed? Well, I think He's got the potential to, to, to you know pitch in any role that you, you put him in because you know he's got that ability to, to sink a baseball. He's got that ability to throw the hard uh, four seam up in the strike zone. He's got a devastating breaking ball. Uh, he throws hard. He's got you know he can keep it straight. He can move it around. Uh, he's got all the intangibles you're looking at uh, for a closer or for the end of the game type guy. You know usually I like to call them end of the game guys. You know, because of that four-out save could happen. Uh, you know, I'm sure we'll we'll have those conversations about what's best for us to win ball games. And you know, just like last year when the chips are down, we went to Deke a lot. And whether that's the eighth, the seventh, or, or the ninth, I, I feel like we'll do the same thing. And I, I guess it'll be all about the personnel that the front office goes out and uh, gets, and then a lot of it, too, is matchups in the game. You know, how many lefties are coming up, even though Deke, I, I think Deke does great against right-handed hitters. So, um, you know, I think sometimes it'll be about matchups. Uh, I see us, you know, maybe, uh, you know, exploring every opportunity with all our guys out there. Yeah, J.B. Wendelkin uh, kind of quietly put up really nice numbers. A 180 ERA. He's got great stuff. Uh, he's a guy I think that also could probably handle that job. He's young. He doesn't have a ton of experience yet, but uh, he's he's picking it up pretty quickly. Where do you think he is right now and in, in his development? And and is he a guy who would you know has maybe got maybe a little bit of a a long shot, but could be considered at some point for such a role? Well, I, I think he's one of those guys that I talked about earlier about the ability to get out there and breathe. You know, uh, just watching uh, JB over the last two years, he, he's more uh, cool, calm, and collected and relaxed out there. And uh, I, I think that he's got a great mentality that one, he doesn't remember yesterday, uh, and that's good for a reliever uh, because, he, you know, if something happens negatively, he's got that 
strong mental approach that it didn't affect him. And he's got the weapons, you know. He's he's got the fastball. He's got the curveball. He's got he's got a fastball that he can run at the top of the zone. He's got a sinker at the bottom of the zone. He's got a slider and a curveball and devastating change. Sometimes, you know, you, you look at relievers and say, you know, you don't want to be a jacket of all trades, master of none. But you know, he's got the legitimate pitches that you're looking for, and uh, you know, I always believe that you pitch to your strengths. Uh, and your strength's got to exploit the hitter's weaknesses. And when you have those types of pitches, JV can exploit you know, all the hitter's weaknesses. Yeah, for sure. Uh, it, there were two uh, other guys who, in kind of limited action, uh, I think piqued a lot of interest. Burt Smith was one. You know, he's obtained from the Giants during spring training. And uh, Jordan Weems, who's a converted catcher and throws hard. Both of those guys in... in not a lot of time, I think showed some things that that would make any team go, huh, um, that could be, they could be really interesting assets. What, what are your thoughts on what we saw from them and what they might be able to do here in the, in the next year or two? Yeah, you're right. You know, both of them have, are, are good high spin rate guys that can pitch up at the top of the strike zone. I think Jordan really developed that slider this year and that split finger got a little bit better. Uh, Birch, Birch was electric until he got hurt. I mean, he, he did a lot of good things. He's got another, he's got, he's another guy with a lot of, uh, pitches to his game. He's got the ability to slow the ball down, pitch it in and out, elevate, and he's smart. You know, I, I really, you know, just watching him pitch and, and talking to him, you know, he's a smart pitcher. He, he's got a plan. You know, and when he takes that mound, you know, he, he incorporates our scouting stuff and, but he has a plan. He has an idea of attack. He's not just standing on the mound throwing stuff and, and, and figuring out right then. He goes into the games and kind of has an idea of what he wants to do, how his pitches can defeat the hitter's weakness. And Jordan's coming along uh, great for me in that area, knowing when and what to throw, uh, where and why, uh, reading hitters himself. You know, him being a former catcher, you know, that helps him out as well. So, you know, both of those guys for me can play uh, great impacts on our pitching staff because one, they got the velo, but I think that their pitches are, are uh, you know, developed enough that they're going to have success. And you know, they they showed in in the short spurt that they can do that. Now it's about managing it over a long course of a season, and then you know, switching roles. You know, sometimes you know, pitching in the sixth and the seventh in a down game. It's a lot different than pitching in the sixth and the seventh up one or one or two. Some so now you know. Hopefully they get those opportunities. Jordan gets more of those opportunities. I think Birch we were we were really good at giving them a lot of uh, you know crunch time innings, and and Jordan was kind of developing into that. Yeah, that's that, that's exactly what it what it seemed like. And but really fun guys to watch, and and I think names that people should kind of keep an eye on. Now, uh, obviously, you are uh, consumed with the big league pitching staff, but I know you keep an eye on on what you guys have in the minors, and you've seen quite a bit of some of the the top minor leaguers, whether it be in big league camp or in the off-seasons or on video. Um, What do you think that uh, you guys might be looking at with some of the guys who will be up for roster spots next year? Caprillion, uh, Dalton Jeffries, uh, Parker Dunn, Dunshee, some of the relievers, like some of the guys that were added to the 40 man, like Wandison Charles and Miguel Romero, who, who we have not seen quite as much of, certainly. Um, but but what about some of these options that you guys might be looking at? 
Well, the, the, the good news is we, we got some guys in uh, Caprillion and Dalton Jeffries, uh, a Grant Holmes, uh, a Paul Blackburn, who could, you know, they're, they're dual-type guys. They're guys that can pitch uh, as starters, and they're guys that can pitch, you know, middle-to-long relief-type guys. And, and possibly you could get some end-of-the-game guys once that. Usually, you know, the end-of-the-game guys, I've got a couple of years of experience before you start making them the closer. But uh, with, with those guys in the starters mix, it could be starters, could be relievers. I, I think it's a it's a good uh, depth depth to have. And then Romero and Charles, you got two right-handers that show mid to uh, upper 90s fastballs with good breaking balls that just need to polish off their command a little bit. And, uh, you know, when you see good hitters, you'll understand more and more, you know, what type of command you really need. So hopefully in spring training, we get these guys enough action against the, the better hitters in the world, and, and they'll have to, you know, figure it out. Like, yeah, command is important. You know, velocity is great, and we all love it, but the ability to speed up the ball and slow it down uh, to keep the hitters off balance, and I always say it, hitting's time and pitching disruption of timing, that's a key factor, and you don't really know how to do that until you face the best hitters in the world and, and they'll let you know so i think we got a good stable uh of guys you know parker dunchy you mentioned as well uh bulldog competitor type uh, i i know we selected uh uh graves today in the rule five i i had him as pitching coordinator uh years ago and i'm intrigued to see what he looks like as well so uh, you know it, it's it's fun to have these guys and all those six-year free agents that we sign, and that's what I'll start doing now is doing my homework and watching even more video about how the guys I don't know uh, as well as the guys I do know to get a firm grasp on what we got going into spring training. Yeah, yeah. I mean, you guys snagged three pitchers in the Rule of Five draft, uh, including uh, Danny Jimenez in the uh, Major League portion who was with the Giants last year as a Rule of Five player. So... Uh, potentially uh, a lot of really interesting options for you to learn and tell us all about uh, down the line. Uh, Scott Emerson. I was looking up up his numbers, Susan, and and a lot of strikeouts. Good arm, a lot of strikeouts. Uh, Minor leagues, minor leagues. Yeah. Uh, And and it looked like he didn't walk many guys. So it looks like he's got an idea of how to move his baseball around. And like I said, I'm going to have to, you know, get in there and get on our, our uh, analytics and see what he can do. Yeah, I, I just heard for uh, listeners, uh, uh, in, ni- in 2019, Jimenez didn't pitch, except for a couple outings with the Giants, Jimenez didn't pitch that much in, in 2020, although he's with Lise right now, which is is fun. Uh, he struck out 93 in 59 innings in 2019 in the minors. So, um, yeah, that's that's those are some pretty nice numbers. You, you like that. You'd take that. So, uh, oh, yeah. 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 Yeah, and he would, you know, if, the, if you guys are going to keep him, that's the only that's the only way he could stay on the roster is you have to keep him on, on the roster all year. So I suspect, given the fact that there are a lot of holes potentially to fill in the bullpen, that, that we will be seeing a lot of Danny Jimenez. Scott Emerson, as always, thank you so much for joining us on A's Plus. Thanks again to Scott Emerson for joining us on A's Plus. Our producers today were King Kaufman and G. Allen Johnson. We'll be back again next week with more A's Plus. Thanks for listening.